0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend today.
1: The University of Austin, new university starting by our friend Barry Weiss and, and crew, um, to combat what the hell is going on in our universities.
2: Well, I I just love that people are building something and uh, trying to do it better. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the real issues in American life is we're all just starting to get very, very negative about things like institutions and be like, oh, you know, the media. Oh, like schools, uh, you name it. Um, And then someone like Barry and a lot of other people. Just want to actually put their money where their mouth is and say, hey, we think we can do a better job. We yeah. think there's a need. We can fill it. Uh, you know, that's what I'm doing with the forward party. That's what I think that our, this movement's been about in large part. It's like we can do better. It, it's like build a better mousetrap, you know? Yeah. It's like it, like the, the, the moment you stop complaining and start doing something about it, then in my mind, I've always felt much more positive and upbeat and healthier because when you complain – um, it, it, there's like a kind of negative sentiment that creeps up because you're like, oh, that sucks, this sucks. Yep. And, and then at some point you have to be like, well, if it really does suck, maybe I can offer the world a better alternative. And oh, by the way, if I'm right, maybe there's an immense opportunity there. Maybe there's a, a ton of value. Welcome back to the podcast, we're going to talk about what's going on in DC, they passed a bill, they passed a big bill, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, what's in it, what's next. We're also going to talk about the automation of home buying via Zillow that kind of blew up in everyone's face. So that, that that's very on theme for us in terms of, uh, you know, trends, mega trends in technology and technology in the economy i also going to talk about a new university, Austin University. I got to say, they picked a pretty catchy place in a name because it seems like Austin is blowing up. Today on the podcast, but first, they did it. They passed the infrastructure bill. Yay!
1: Congratulations, America. Uh, we did something.
2: Approximately two weeks too late for a certain gubernatorial candidate in Virginia. I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh, but uh, it's... Uh, I have to say that uh, that this was something of a comedy of errors where that they, they would just go back and forth on a bill that was approved three months ago by the Senate with nineteen. 19- Republican senators, it's popular. Something like 70% of Americans are for infrastructure because it's it's common sense. We can see our country is crumbling around us. Mm -hmm. There are bridges that have been shut down for months because they're unsafe. (laughs) You look around here, like, if anything could win nearly universal acclaim, it's infrastructure. And uh, they managed to sit on it for months and months, but it finally got passed. We did it. I think... I was trying to take a step back in these big picture stuff,
1: Andrew. It's like, the United States of America is spending a trillion dollars on fixing its infrastructure. Now, theoretically, there's going to be a ton of government waste in there, or it's probably in practice. But realistically, that's a good thing. It should be jobs. It should be stuff that needs to be fixed. And frankly, in my opinion, I do know your thoughts on this. If you're going to overspend on something, I feel like infrastructure is a good one to overspend on.
2: It, it, it's really not possible for us to overspend on infrastructure, at least, a, a, I mean, I guess it's conceivable. But I saw one estimate by the engineers of America um, who gave us something like a C- in infrastructure and mm-hmm. estimated that our infrastructure deficit is something like $4 trillion. <laughs> uh, So actually we're not enough at of $1 trillion? Uh, so the, I, it's a huge win. Uh, I mean, we have been under-investing investi- under in our infrastructure for Decades essentially, uh, and so this 1.2 trillion, and not all this 1.2 trillion is real because of the magic of government accounting. So 550 billion of it is new, mm-hmm. uh, and you should also know that it's not like this money is going to get spent immediately. It's going to take months, even years, in many cases, for the investment to reach the economy. Um, but I, I don't think anyone could look at this and say that somehow. Uh, The US is going overboard. Uh, This is a a much needed, long overdue investment. Right. So you've got,
1: I have a feeling most people listen to this, they're probably well informed, but don't watch cable news or maybe have dug into this. So I'll break it down for you quickly. 100 billion on roads and bridges, 65 billion on railroads, which, by the way, if Amtrak gets an upgrade, even Wi
2: Fi, that's pretty good win, at least for the East Coast. The new Moynihan train station. In New, uh, in, in New York? In New York. Wonderful. Penn, yeah, it, it's like you, you stepped into a world of possibility. Agreed. Um, so if there's more like that around the country because of this, home run.
1: A home run. Uh, they need a better food court, which is coming. Um, right now, I think it's just like a Starbucks and a small, fancy bakery. Uh, $65 billion for the power grid, which theoretically is great if spent well, um, hopefully on some clean energy, but also just climate change infrastructure in there, which is part of it, too. You've got broadband, particularly in rural areas. You've got $55 billion on water infrastructure, which is, I mean, Flint is one example of probably hundreds, frankly. Um, the United States of America, we're supposed to have good water, guys. Uh, $47 billion on cybersecurity and climate change uh, in the way it's related to that. Tough, to, it, it was confusing how they tied those together. Um, maybe it's like, I don't know, they're, they're breaking things out, I guess. Uh, public transit, almost $40 billion dollars. 25 billion for airports, 21 billion for the environment, which is I guess separate than the cybersecurity infrastructure <laughs> carve out. 17 billion dollars for ports, which is an issue particularly on the West Coast, uh, and 11 billion for safety, 8 billion for more water infrastructure on the West, and particularly for the, the drought-ridden uh, states. 7.5 billion for electric vehicle charging stations was awesome, and 7.5 billion for electric school buses.
2: Yeah, so. You hear that list, and you're like, "I like these things." <laughs> Most Americans, yeah, will be like, or, or oh. we're
1: bad at these things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Um, so there, there is one. Um, well, there are probably several, but there, there was one big component that Joe ran on that is not included in this bill, um, and that is a move towards much lower emissions. There's certainly some sustainability in there, mm-hmm. uh, but one of the criticisms about this bill is that a lot of the money could just get spent on, for example making new roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there could be a lot of uh, emissions and energy involved and you' just like building things that have uh, environmental impact. Uh, so that's one criticism. you know I, I wish that there was inclusion of something like a carbon tax, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this is a win, massive step in the right direction. Uh, but I, I will say that, to the extent that there was like a vision for infrastructure as like a huge shift towards sustainability, like this is not that. Right. Um, but it has a, a bunch of things in it that are positive in that direction uh, in terms of electric vehicle support uh, and, and some other steps.
1: I have so I have lots of questions. I think maybe people do too um, for for Andrew. Um, so first one is, you talked a lot about when you're running for president about government's core competencies. You know, uh, when you talk about UBI, you're like, well, this is a core uh, – giving large number of checks, a uh, large number of people probably reliably every month is a core competency. Is infrastructure a core competency of government? It's probably not core, but it is something I think government has to do. What do you think there?
2: So so here's the process. Uh, it, it's not that when you cut checks for these billions of dollars. Really, what the government is doing is it's cutting checks. Yeah, And so the – the it's procurement che-
1: processes. With, yeah, with so the
2: checks papers. are going – in large part to uh, state and local governments that will then say, hey, uh, we've got this money from the feds mm-hmm. and then how are we going to deploy it so they'll be able to make use of that money. And then that money in real life gets uh, spent on a host of contractors yep. who have great relationships with the city and state governments being like, hey, when it's bridge repair get time, that money. Or highway building time or broadband building time, like right. you know it's gonna be us. Um, so when you ask about the, you know, the efficiency of the resources, I think most of us know that a lot of these construction projects have ghastly overruns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and are, you know, they cost two times or three times as much. They they take three times as long. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that that's going to go on. And again, this money is going to get spent over a multi-year period easily, uh, you know, like the first real impacts are going to be from businesses that are hiring up to be like, ooh, this money's coming, this money's coming, we're going to get a big contract. Mm -hmm. So we're going to need to try and help fulfill it. And that stuff will have immediate dividends. Um, But we can look forward to really money getting pumped into uh, various projects. Uh, So when you ask like, is this a core company of the federal government, they're cutting checks. Um, And so you ask really like how good is the state and local government at actually putting shovels in the ground and doing these things. And that's, like, the U.S., in, in my view, has been below average in terms mm-hmm. of efficiency. <laughs> like, so there's some yep. things. We're international comparables. It was like, uh, you know, we, we spend five to ten times more for similar projects yes. <laughs> as, as other countries. <laughs> uh, so is this a core competency uh, of the federal government? They're cutting checks, which, again, is their competency. And then you hope for a higher level of accountability and efficiency at the local level. So I've
1: met with... Um, a number of directly with a number of Republican and Democrat governors and um, doing some various advising and such.
2: Uh, oh, I just want to intercede. Sure. One of my ideas on the presidential campaign that some people loved and some people didn't like, but uh, like I proposed creating uh, like a Legion of Builders and Destroyers, which right. were essentially like this kind of bulked up um, yeah, federal Army program Corps, Yeah, Army Corps of Engineers type who just come and freaking just demolish things and <laughs> always build them. No. With, with the thought being that, look, if the federal government's going to do these things, it should have some uh, direct resources to deploy and not just funnel money towards um, towards certain projects. And, and one of the things that, that you know I saw was when you had urban cores that become derelict, it's like a real problem. And most of the time those cities don't have the resources to Correct. do anything about it. Uh, and so if you just had a uh, national resource where it's like, hey, this freaking town probably, yeah. probably could use some... Destroying, <laughs> building. Yeah. because if you and if you drive this country, you know what I'm talking about. Where you see all these places where you're like, "What the hell happened here?" Yeah. And then no one has the money to properly demolish and treat it. And uh, a lot of these buildings become environmental. Uh, Pollutants, mm-hmm. uh, they become havens for crime. Mm-hmm. They become blight and reduce property values. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a ton of that if you drive the country. And uh, you know, I want to do something about that. Some of this money will probably find its way in in that direction. Uh, but I did propose actually having a national uh, a national force for it. <laughs> that's EXPRESSVPN.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more.
1: I was gonna say that I met with a number of Republican and Democrat governors, and here's how this process works. When a bill like this is passed, you're basically giving states, particularly governors, Cart, not carte blanche there are restrictions but you basically are you're putting the power of the purse here with this money in their hands um they have a procurement process for companies to enter their system pitch the government uh six to nine months sometimes it's longer to get in there so usually it's when moments like this happen if they're not in the system a new competitor that's what like, i'm cur- i'm concerned maybe about some of these like rural broadband offerings where you have like ancient companies who, you know, the new new tech hasn't necessarily done the procurement process across states, right? Because there's a lot of them to do, you know, state by state, Wi-Fi and fiber optics and things like that. But basically you're investing, what we're doing is investing in state leadership, I think. Like they're going to be the ones that put this stuff to work. And I'm going to make a call uh, because I'm one for one since we started Forward podcast called the McCall of Philosophy Will. Uh, I think the red red state governor is going to be better at this than the, the blue state governors um, because a lot of it is what this is. People are like, oh, anti pro business. I don't like these pro business candidates. Fair, fair points to that. But a lot of the job is to evaluate companies and their ability to execute and then oversee their project. That's a lot of what being a governor is, where you're writing these checks. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, in terms of who's gonna be able to implement this on a in a better, more effective way.
2: I don't know. Well, I think a lot of the money naturally is going to flow to the blue states because they have higher population density. It'll be by construction needs. yeah you know like just the bulk of the money is going to go to um, to to the coasts and in, in my mind. yes, uh, just you know math and, <laughs> For sure. and the rest of it. But I hundred percent agree with you that there's a massive government efficiency argument to be made that Democrats are losing. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's to me one of the hazards of essentially one party rule is mm-hmm. that if you have a very blue state or uh, city, then there's no meaningful competition. And then you wind up with a lot of self-dealing and corruption and, and then no one really comes to them and is like, hey, that was a boondoggle. I mean, yeah. y- you can see that there are boondoggles all over, you know, governments of, of, of both <laughs> kinds. But I, I would tend to agree with you that if you have uh, environments where. Uh, where where folks are a bit more mindful of efficiency and things are less political then you, you'd see some output results
1: Yeah I agree with that where it's I mean you got to think there's a Republican or democratic establishment right and if you're only staying in the Republican lane or the Democratic lane you end up with no need or ability to change right you end up with the same company same relationships same donors or Republican party that sort of thing so um, going to be fascinating to watch my other question for you is, on the politics of this because i think that's um
2: well i, I will say to to zach is that at this point now the infrastructure bill has been passed everything is going to turn to the reconciliation bill or yeah, the social the infrastructure bill, or whatever better. you call it build back better the 1.75 trillion dollar uh act and one of the interesting dynamics is that a lot of Representatives don't really want to vote on it because it's just going to get smashed into something different at the Senate anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's point. I, really we we should know that uh, this is going to be a Senate-driven bill, and that means it's going to be a Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema-driven bill, uh, and so there are a lot of Dems that are like, look, why are we going to stick our necks out and. Uh, put the sun, the moon, and the stars into this bill um, when it's just going to get thrown out anyway. Now right. there are some folks with political incentives to throw the sun, moon, and stars into the House bill because they can like be like, "We fought for it," even right. though they they know it's going to get tossed out. And then there are more moderate Democrats who are like, "I really don't want to have like the attack ad saying I asked for the sun, the moon, the stars," and <laughs> I know we're not going to get some of those things. Right. So so that is the political set of incentives around uh, Build Back Better. Uh, where some folks are going to posture and say like, Hey, we put all this stuff in, uh, and that, that's to really like, you know, frankly, um, please their base. Mm Uh, I'll give you an example of something that, you know, that, that, you can have different opinions about. Um, but they're trying to put immigration reform into Build Back Better. Right, And then the, a Senate parliamentarian, the rules person, was like, hey, this is a budget bill, and so you can't yeah, do that. that. Yeah, uh, And so some Democrats are like, we're going to put it in there anyway, even though they know there's like a yeah, yeah, 90% chance it's going to get tossed out. Um, and then some of the moderate Democrats are like, why do I really want to throw myself on this one, given that I know <laughs> there's a 99% chance that it's going to get thrown out? Um, so... That so the the politics are going to shift toward the reconciliation bill, and one of the main reasons why the infrastructure bill took forever to pass was because progressives were essentially holding the infrastructure bill hostage <laughs> to, to, to yes. try to try and get the uh, you know the moderates to um, support for um, the bigger reconciliation package. Now infrastructure is passed and. Uh, the momentum, and I will say this is something that some people were concerned about. The momentum towards Build Back Better is still there despite the loss in Virginia. Um, I, I think in large part because everyone knows that this is the Biden agenda. Right. And so if, if you're a moderate Democrat, you still want to see to it that you have um, some points on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just for because
1: this was not clear to me, and I follow this relatively closely. There, there are two bills. One we just passed, which is the infrastructure bill, and that is everything I just listed off, and it's pretty bipartisan. Uh, oh yeah, very bipartisan. Well, roads, well, bridges. Uh,
2: Nineteen Republican senators. were yeah, before, so that was so, uh, Yeah, it was,
1: and it's thirteen. So that's a. I'll, I'll get in that sec. So then, then there's what we're talking about is the Build Back Better plan, which is going to be passed on our budget reconciliation process. That is, so the infrastructure bill was separate, was 1.2 trillion. Uh, this one is 1.75 trillion right now. It's a different bill and that has a lot of things that Dems have claimed to be fighting for, but can never get there. Um, let's get the party to line up for we'll call it paid family leave. And uh, I have a whole list of the stuff that's in this. Uh, You've got paid family leave. You've got uh, like negotiating prescription drug prices for Medicare. You've got a whole bunch of things that are more progressive, more pro-family, more social safety net, such. Um, On the infrastructure bill, 13 Republican House members came across the aisle. And all of your usual suspects of progressives got to do their virtual signaling performative empathy. And that's what um, our guys on the inside were saying. It's a win for... It's a loss for Kevin McCarthy and Republicans, but a win for Pelosi because she got a bipartisan bill and she let all of her progressives on the far left, AOC, Elon Omar, the usual Cory Bush, the usual suspects. They got to say, we're not for this because this is corporatist or whatever. They get to go on the Young Turks and say how awesome and progressive they are. Um, but for what it's worth, like the progressives that I think you and I probably have more alignment with, like your Katie Porters and your Ro Khanna, they were all for this. Um, so... The question for you is, on the Build Back Better plan, how much of the performance is still going to happen, do you, in your opinion? Um, or do you think we actually – and you kind of alluded to this, but do you think we end up lining up?
2: On the, on the Build Back Better plan, the, the real question for everyone is what stays and what goes. Yeah. Um, because they originally had a bill that was twice the size, 3, $3.5 mm-hmm. trillion. Uh, and some of the things that you named are now in the cutting room floor. Yep. It looks like paid family leave uh, may not make it in. It looks like Medicare uh, drug price negotiation may not make mm-hmm. it in. You've
1: got public housing there. You get universal pre-K. Uh,
2: so the question is what what makes it in, uh, and again, it's going to be a mansion cinema uh, determination what mm-hmm. stays in. Um, on this one, I think the pressure is going to be reversed where every Progressive is going to vote for it, and uh, they're going to try and cajole the moderates to vote right. for more and more. Uh, and it looks like everyone's aligned, that this thing has to pass in some form. Um, the, the political incentives are different for the reps because, again, a lot of the stuff's going to get massaged and changed at the Senate level. Uh, so uh, I think that they're going. they have a lot of work to do. Uh, the the Senate has a lot of work to do by year end. Uh, that the hope is that they can get this thing done by then. Um, but you should see the House negotiations proceed, and they're going to send something to the Senate. Um, hopefully, you know, like before year end. Uh, the the thing I'm most excited about is that it looks like the child tax credit is there to stay. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's not like an eternal. Renewal, which I would love, mm-hmm. um, but it is a one-year renewal, um, and I suppose in the current environment, got to take that as a as a win. Um, you know, at this point, We're it would be in football, place man. for a year and a half, uh, and if you have a year and a half of families getting, you know, three six hundred dollar checks, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to be very hard at the end of 2022 to be like, and do you know that stuff that actually has been <laughs> doing great? Like, yeah, yeah, enough of that. So right. uh, I'm pumped that the
1: child tax credit is here to stay. It's exciting. We're going to spike the football. This happens. Let me ask you this. I don't know about Bill Back Better yet, but for comparison, the infrastructure bill just passed was 2,702 pages. I want to put that in context. That's uh, more than half of the entire Harry Potter series, um, all books combined. That is double the size of War and Peace and the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And these things happen like over a weekend, right? Over a night. So do you think anyone actually read it?
2: Well, infrastructure is uh, is something where they've been developing these plans for years and years and years, essentially mm. lying on the shelf. Mm. Where someone thought at some point, it's like, look, mm-hmm. when it's infrastructure time, I'm ready. What do we want to do? What do we want to do? I mean, you know, we've all heard of infrastructure week. It's been infrastructure week for years and years. Um, so this is an area where there's there's going to be some well developed thinking and planning uh, because it's been lying in wait for. Yeah. Realistically, decades.
1: Right. I mean, you do have. You got to think. You got a ton of congress members. They've got staff. Ton of staff. They can break it down, summarize. Most of them are lawyers. Are used to the scrap. So I do think like people have an idea of what's in it, and then we'll pull out. Uh, it's I'm one reason why
2: infrastructure. Again, we all like it is because the stuff is pretty real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like there, you know, there are plans. Like you know, I mean, that the, they, um, the Engineering uh, Society of America has been analyzing this stuff for years. Like we right. kind of know. Uh, We've known for a while that we were kind of crumbling. Yeah. So I'm I'm pumped. I think most Americans should be pumped. I'm pumped too. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. that's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, here's the th- the thing that Democrats are missing in a very, very, very big way, um, which is this, uh, I think it was uh, Michael Schumann of Politico, who said that we're in the postmodern era of governing where uh, it's not how you actually govern, it's the appearance of how you govern. Oh, yeah. Because well, everyone let the truth get
1: in the way of a good story, Andy. Well,
2: well, one of the things that that happened too is, when, uh, is that people's perception of the economy at this point is based upon whether their team is winning. Uh, mm-hmm. like, the, like there was a oh, period yeah. when Trump won uh, the election, and then all Republicans thought the economy was better, even though we hadn't taken office yet, and literally like nothing had changed. But everyone was like, "Oh, now, like, now the no, economy we're thr- Yeah, up we're thriving. Yeah. Um, and, and so, what Democrats missed in a very, very big way is that uh, what that is that they just sent this message that they weren't on the same team, and they were just bickering, uh, and it was like all political posturing. And a lot of the country at this point was like, "Oh, oh no! Like this is not what we need." Uh, and, and then. Even if you pass the bill, frankly, it's not like anyone's going to see some, you know, magical new bridge, highway, airport for... Like months and months. I mean, we're we're talking about literally maybe after the midterms of twenty two <laughs> that, yeah. that, that someone might see something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so what they what they missed was really what Derek Thompson called like the vibes war. Is that mm. they they completely lost the vibes war. <laughs> they lost the vibes war. Yeah, I love that. And now they're yeah. gonna now they're gonna turn around and be like, but we passed it. But we passed it. And it's You're like, like, like well, at this yeah. point at uh, this point a lot of it's like, well, you already you complained. Kind of, you sort of established a vibe that you know a lot of people aren't crazy about and then you do pass it and then like this literally could have been an enormous looking victory two months ago yes but just if you drag this three months ago but if you drag this thing out like like this then it's like harder to generate that sense of victory Mm -hmm. because you know like the average american again is not going to see or feel this uh for for months and months
1: it's interesting to watch because you look at these 2021 races which are not midterms but political press is dreaming ginning up a bunch of outrage over upcoming elections right these elections come down the pike and the dems aren't looking good looking like we're gonna lose seats we're not supposed to and so there's this rhetoric from the democrats are like it's because we can't pass a bill it's because we can't do x y because we're getting nothing done but then i also see from prominent democratic on the far left per se but prominent democratic leaders and spokespersons that um or critics that are like, well, we don't once they do pass the bill, they're like, oh, it doesn't do enough or it's not great, or this is corporatist, or this sort of thing. Are democrats impossible to please? Um, or is this like, are we in a is this kind of what you've said before? This is like if there's no conflict, nothing's happening. So we have to find conflict over over anything. Well
2: well, well the, the issue is that you essentially have two parties like lodged into the Democratic Party at this point. That's true. Uh and so the the two parties are gonna have very, very different points of view. And you're seeing this play out over and over again. Buffalo, you know, yeah, your town is <laughs> an emblem of this. Um, And and so, you know, what's funny is I obviously think that we should have more political parties and that we should have a system where these people are not in the same party. Um, Progressives will very much dislike that argument because they think to themselves, no, we're going to take over the Democratic Party um, and, uh, you know, like we're going to win this thing from within. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way it's going to play out. um, But in my view, we'd be better off if the Democratic Party were two parties, the Republican Party was Mm -hmm. was two parties. And most people on the left would agree with me on the Republican Party because then you would have a group of uh, anti-Trump Republicans or like, uh, you know, like you you can tell that there are like the Trump Republicans and then the <laughs> non-Trump Republicans. And the major problem is that the non-Trump Republicans have to act like Trump Republicans in order to keep their jobs. <laughs> and so so you have like <laughs> that. that And so I think anyone on the left would be like, oh, yeah, I'd love it if the Republican Party were two parties. Um, and then I think the Democratic Party should be two parties as well. And you'd have, you know, more genuine um, negotiations and exchanges uh, but that's why you're you're going to see very different communications uh, out of certain actors on the left because there are folks on the left who will say, you know, like this doesn't go far enough, um, and, and that would I think be very a very consistent message from them almost regardless of what uh, what gets passed because a lot of things they want um, are dramatic, which you know uh, I think most people know. Like I'm for some dramatic things too, so you know, like I, I don't necessarily think that incrementalism should like win the day every time. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other thing is,
1: um, I'm just curious to the timeline. So we're freaking out saying he didn't get anything done, didn't get anything done, but they got something done by November, early November in his first year in office. I guess what I'm saying for context, Barack Obama and that administration passed the affordable care act in March of his second year. Um, now, he had a financial crisis. He had other things taking our attention. But I also wonder if this like 24-hour news cycle that's only accelerated since 2009 is driving us to say, you're not doing anything, when in reality, these things actually take a longer time. I don't know.
2: I, I think that there were some genuine missteps in this process. No. Uh, and people did complain that it's like, look, Joe didn't ask us to vote. Joe didn't put his foot down. Joe didn't have a, have like a clear directive or vision. Uh, and I genuinely think that there were missteps. You know, like, so here's here's my my read on what's going on. Um, some of the stuff that uh, Joe Biden is taking heat for, you know, like not really uh, under his control, but like have there been some errors that where you'd look at it and say, oh, like you know, you wish he'd been uh, a bit stronger on that. You wish that he'd. Uh, I'll, I'll use right. Afghanistan as an example. It's like yeah, decision decision to withdraw most Americans agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the execution, most all of us can see that there were some problems and mm-hmm. like later the military commanders were like, yeah, this is not what Yeah, they, didn't, did, they didn't line up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is not, you know, and and so, you know, but then when asked about it, Joe essentially was like, you know, both the... This was the plan. Yeah, like the plan was the plan and it was perfect and all the generals agreed even though like, you know, later generals were like, no, no, not, not, not really. Like we all kind of know that there was some shoddy execution there. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, So on on this one, uh, was there the equivalent of shoddy execution in terms of getting your party on the same page and like getting a thing passed before the midterms? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, And so... You know, like that those are this is part of the vibes war thing, I think, is is that like the like the the Biden vibes have not been great. Mm -hmm. Um, There are different people. There's someone who, you know, this is another issue, but like someone complained to me that Joe hasn't yet appointed an ambassador to China. Um, which seems like an important relationship, and so yeah. so so someone, you know, like like I
1: nominate Andrew Yang, although we do not want that job. I uh, say you know, they wouldn't appoint me for a <laughs>
2: number of reasons. But <laughs> your Mandarin um, sucks. That's the biggest reason. But but that would be <laughs> better than mine. But yeah, uh, yeah sorry, if that's a prerequisite. I mean, I don't know. Some I don't know. Yeah. Over there, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Get some Google Translate action in there. Mm. So um, so there 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 are different things that pe- different people take this administration to to task with. Yeah. And I think some of those things are, you know, like legitimate.
1: Here's my quit another question for you. I'm peppering you with questions. This is fun. Maybe it's part of my job here. Um, is this a problem with not, with running an anti-candidate platform as a party, right? Instead of like, we don't, like Joe Biden does not have, call it the populist love or like the love of the people. He won, as we many would agree with was that most people were anti Biden or anti Trump more than they were pro Joe. And when you're in executive leadership function in politics, it's easier to put your foot down. If you're like, if you don't line up, I'm coming to your state and I'm going to support your challenger in 2022 or you know, wherever the midterms are. And you know, Obama was able to do that. If he had to, you know, Trump still is able to do that and he's no longer in power or at least elected. Is that is that like the core of this, right? Or is it just that, you know, is it Joe himself not being effective leader? Is his age? I don't
2: I don't know. Here's my read. So uh, Joe wins, wins the popular vote, uh, you know, like doesn't have like a you know storming mandate, but mm-hmm. comes in and there is a honeymoon. Uh, you know, his yeah. approval ratings above fifty percent people and like, here. okay, yeah, right. like okay, we're into it. Uh, and and now that that early capital has been lost, his approval ratings at forty three percent lower among independents. Mm-hmm. So he can't go and really bully folks. Uh, yeah, what do they care? politically? Yeah, uh, you know, there's some candidates who I, I don't think they, they feel like his, um, you know, his ability to uplift them is is that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's tough, you know, but it's it still. The leader and and so Democrats are be like, well, you know we have to try and support him and yeah. and, and get back to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there is going to be a massive set of problems though for Democrats moving forward because they ran against Trump and this is part of the binary dynamic. Uh, and I, I don't disagree with some of this stuff, but that they they ran on the sun and the moon and the stars. And then yes, now, they did. you know, and, and it, it, it was really kind of like good versus evil, yep. like, you know, get rid of the bad guy. We're going to come in and uh, gonna gonna be days. we're yeah. going to build back better and like all this great stuff's going to happen. And then a lot of people are like, hey, this hasn't really been happening. And a lot of people are exhausted. A lot of people are very demotivated and de-energized. Mm-hmm. You could see that in the Virginia and New Jersey elections, where it's like you know, like the Democrats have real kind of fatigue and disillusionment setting in, and then the energy is very much behind the other side. Yeah. So does this continue for another twelve months into twenty twenty two? Unclear, but Unclear. Uh, but but I would certainly bet. I think most people now would would bet on Republicans taking the House and maybe the Senate at at this rate. And then at that point, the culture in D.C. becomes uh, gridlock central. (laughs) Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) Uh, Again. But this is, to me, quite likely, um, in part because it's been difficult to pin down the Democratic message Mm -hmm. um, uh, aside from, again, Trump, uh, the worst, and COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, And then neither of those things will work now. I think they get it. They're gonna get
1: it done. They'll get a Build Back Better plan done of some sort, and that'll be a good legacy win for Joe. I don't know if it's good enough to win in 2022 for the midterms in 2024, but legacy-wise, I think good for the United States generally speaking. Depending what happens
2: in Build Back. Better. I yeah, I, I like a lot of the stuff in Build Back Better. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, love the child tax credit, and there are a lot of yeah. other things I like too.
1: There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of things I don't like. I, I mean, you know, there's certain things I just don't think government's great at. But we're gonna find out. Um, let me say this: the one thing I'm curious about this too is. I think Build Back Better is such a terrible name. And I think Democrats are t- terrible at naming things, generally speaking.
2: They are subpar naming things. Yeah. can do you have better names?
1: Um, yeah. I always thought that uh party should come up. This was Bill Clinton's thing. He said if he was in power, I think he was talking about the Trump election. I can find this. Um, but he said, I would call it the American Comeback Plan. Better. Um, which is way better. But the thing is, Build back better is so team Democrat. Build back better—it's
2: that vibe. It's also triple B. It's It's like it's alliteration, which is bullshit. No, if anything, you'd want to be—you'd want to be rated triple A. You know what I mean? Mm. Like who the hell wants to be like the triple B rated? Yeah,
1: we want the B plan. Um, And it's uh, this is the key, guys. Key to naming things. And Andrew and I have done had these conversations many times. I I
2: would name it uh, something around values. American comeback is good. Some something around uh you know, fairness, like uh fairness for families, like something something but that that's actually too demi too. Yeah, uh, it's a little I, demi. I, I discard my well, I get own where situation.
1: you're going where it's like uh, uh some sort of justice or uh
2: because fair and American just. sense that shit is rigged Shit's, and that and yeah. that it's super unfair. And so if if you were to be like, look, we're gonna make it right, like that yeah. this is like uh you know, an investment in families. Uh, which is a lot of what's in there.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the keys to naming things, and you and I have done this a lot, is use it in a sentence the way other people... you Find a way that other people would use this name in a sentence and decide if you like that or not. Because particularly in politics, that's how it's going to work. So when you have reporters or supporters being, we love the Build Back Better plan, like that doesn't sound great. It sounds stupid. It sounds team dem no matter what. Uh, And frankly, you're going to win by probably it's
2: getting some dude, form of... Dude, my, my, my off-the-cuff suggestion was literally triple F, banish for families, <laughs> which that, that now I think about it, that deserves an F. That deserves an F. <laughs>
1: deserve an F. Um, we were brainstorming. We're, throwing, we're, 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 we're shitting on this without a particular... I mean, I said American Comeback Plan, but we don't have a lot of other options. Amer-
2: ACP's not bad. American That's not bad. That's pretty good.
1: Um, my point was, like, for example, I, I just think Republicans, generally right. speaking, are better at naming things. Yep. And but Obama was good at naming things too. So I thought affordable care act was fine. Not great, but fine. Like good enough to be like using a sentence and like be like palatable to Republicans. So Republicans said, screw that. We're calling it Obamacare and I'll give Obama credit. It was like, shit. Yeah. It's got my name in it. I love that. You give my legacy. tied to like the first major healthcare plan in the United States ever. Um, So, uh, and it was like solidified him. So I think, uh, you know, um, but also, it's easier for Republicans to shit on when you throw Obama's name on it, right? And it didn't win, per se, but it was uh, helpful for them.
2: So anyway, something to think about. <laughs> yeah, so the, 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 the things that it's been called are terrible names. Um, no one's going to get excited about the reconciliation plan. I mean, that, that's nope. just a process name. Um, social infrastructure also sounds very made up. Yep. Uh, so American comeback, more visceral, better. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like a good comeback? You could, uh, I mean, hell, if they're talking about
1: printing money, there's a million marketing marketing firms that come up with 20 names that would accomplish various goals. That's what they could pay to do. Democrats
2: generally just need to invest more in this stuff. Uh, Yes, they're losing the vibes war. They're
1: losing the marketing war.
2: You know, and and one of the things I said after Virginia is like that after they lose, they just like blame the voters. (laughs) It's really like the the weirdest set of behaviors. There was an article that that said like, um, you know, Democrats are – agonizing over their loss and will change nothing <laughs> you yeah. know, that, that, that was like like the, the general
1: uh, or we'll miss you know. the point where it's like, like we talk about critical race theory CRT being taught in schools and like generally speaking it's not being like baked into curriculums on a formal level or anything like that but if you like go one layer deeper like parents are upset because they feel like politics is bleeding into their classrooms right where teachers are either forced or saying to make
2: political decisions and no one likes that um uh, and then the people who vote for one side get berated as racist yeah and then you know then they tune out they don't yeah like hour. well
1: you know i can't trust you for calling me that and um yeah so anyway here we are um build back okay. better you gotta think of a new name all right moving on How about, you could call it like name shit better <laughs> this, <laughs> name, sucks. <Pass> it, this <laughs> name sucks Bill. that might be better actually <laughs>
0: redeem your fifty percent off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today
1: I wanted to bring this up Andrew because it was such a fun case study of automation I think I'm gonna say gone wrong because it definitely like there was like you know it's a, it definitely blew up for Zillow but you know the net situation here is even more interesting so
2: well th- this story before you go that this is 2021 capitalism to a T. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So, I, so I'll, I'll summarize and then we'll get your thoughts. How was that? It's probably better because yeah. you're going to have more intelligent things to say. So Zillow, you guys are familiar with Zillow because you'd stalk your friends.
0: Anytime uh, you visit a place, you're, you're like, like, how, how much does that worth You look it up
1: on Zillow, right? Uh, I remember driving through parts of New York. I'm like, what's it cost to have a house out here? Like Zillow, right? Um, but you could also, um, when you're looking to buy a home, Zillow is... Great place to go. They get a ton, millions and millions, billions, Billions actually, that people go on their website. Um, It's not just you. It's not just you. you. It's all of us. And so they had something called Zestimates. It's an estimate with a Z in front of it. Very... That's actually not bad marketing. Anyway. um, That's that's great.
2: I I mean, I've looked at estimates. I've
1: looked at estimates, yeah, for sure. Um, And so they've never been hyper-accurate. I mean, when they first started, they were wrong like all the time, like barely right 75% of the time. Now they're within like 2% accurate, which is a lot in investing. But for you trying to get a ballpark of a neighborhood or a house, it's It's wonderful. Sure. It's great. Um, But basically, Zillow... um, Wanna get some more money than just selling ads. So the way that they make a lot of their money is basically selling hot. Why leads. would I
2: help you buy houses when <laughs> I can just buy, buy the houses myself? <laughs> myself. I'm they, gonna borrow hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and buy houses at bulk smarter <laughs> and then <laughs> flip them and then make mega bucks because you know, I wasn't making enough mega bucks before. I have to grow to the moon. I have to grow to the moon. And so let's do this thing. I buying. Is that is that a real term? <laughs>
1: I buying is a real term. Look at that. They'd buy it online. Like assets that are hard to buy, usually buy in person. They're now some are moving online. So they, instead of their core business, which was basically selling hot leads to mortgage and real estate uh, brokers, they started basically getting into real estate themselves.
2: What uh, could go wrong? Let's buy, buy, buy the houses ourselves and turn around and flip them. We know the market better than everyone else. Yeah. We have access to super money.
1: Well, if I'm, I'm fair. Like, if you're sitting in the room, the boardroom or some of these management teams at Zillow, you're like,
2: I could drink that Kool-Aid. You're like, we're the biggest real estate no, it, player in the you're, world, you're, right? You're right. I'm being a little bit harsh because the fact is there are several firms doing this. Like, yeah. this is this is an industry and it's not just a Zillow. Right. So, they take their estimates, and they're and, like... And, and also, some of the big private equity firms have been making a killing. Yeah, they're
1: all doing this, right? Yes. And so, they buy... And basically, the concept, you buy it where you think it's worth make the minor repairs, and you flip them. And the hardest part, if anyone's worked in real estate, is that real estate is expensive to own. There's insurance, there's taxes, there's repairs, there's utilities, there's all this crap. So you have to flip it fast. Um, And so basically Zillow, they fucked up. Like they they didn't do this well. And here's the numbers. So they bought 10,000 homes in the third quarter of 2021, this quarter, which is double what they did in the second quarter. And they were hiring a ton of humans to basically like they'd buy it with the algorithm uh, or they'd want to buy with the algorithm there'd be people vetting it internally and then there'd be r- local real estate agents also vetting the deal as well. And so they hired two like 2,500 people in the first 9 months of this year to like build this out. But eventually they bought too many houses uh, and they had to sell a bunch of them and they they went out. So thoughts on this. I mean you can dive in more in terms of mechanics of this, but Zillow automated the home buying process and then lost, let me give you the exact number, it was like $569 million uh, was their quoted loss, $30,000 a home they
2: bought and over 10,000 homes they purchased. Thoughts? (laughs) Uh, Again, this is really just capitalism today where it's like you've got a business, you're making money, you got to grow, grow, grow and then you're touching massive pools of capital for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you've got access to that kind of money then you're like okay like how do we deploy this mm-hmm. why why are we letting other people make money off of our information instead yep. of making it ourselves mm-hmm. in a way it's like a version of vertical integration there are other firms that were doing this so if you were to defend Zillow you'd say well you could argue well they have no choice but to do it mm-hmm. because there are other firms that you have, have to grow the space and you have to right? grow um, the knock on it would be like hey you uh, <laughs> holding these houses, if you're off by even a little bit, could, you could really punish you financially very, very quickly. Because if you're 1% off over 10,000 homes, you know, over a three-month period, like, you know, that could add up to a lot, which yep. is apparently what happened. So, you know, you could say this is just an algo execution problem, that if they just got the math right, uh, then they'd be okay. You could look at this and say um, maybe there are limits to what you can do with online uh, with automation. Yeah, just kind of you know maybe there's something specific about uh, a house that uh, makes it more than just like a a mathematical calculation, Mm -hmm. um, or or that this market is so. this market is so dynamic that uh, you you would need incredible reserves mm. uh, if you're off by like a, a a little bit. Right. Um. And you know, at at scale, like if, if you're off in like you know ten houses, it's one thing. If you're off in ten thousand houses, then um, and then it's another. And there is an emotional aspect to the real estate market uh, where we can see right now that there's some froth in certain yeah. places, and and it's you know they're like national patterns that are playing out in particular ways uh you know i have friends who have real estate in florida and it's just been like the most berserk market known to man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> down there you know it's like like a free My parents time. live in florida I as it happened for i've them got too, a soft like, spot for florida but well, yeah they're, they're like vacant, vacant lots that have gone up two to three times in value just oh. like for you know just because they're they're in near, a, near the water or whatever or hot
1: market near a hot market who knows
2: yeah so uh but th- this is the, the kind of combination of automation and vast capital uh, and the competitive aspect in, in some of these industries where you're going to see stuff like this uh, more and more. And, and I will suggest, too, that we are in a very frothy time. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and you're, you're seeing occasional blowups ups uh, now, it's not enough to stop the mega momentum. I, I talked to an investor friend who who was very concerned about the climate. Um, and then Evelyn asked, well, it's like, so are you going to cash um, if you're so concerned about the climate? And by the way, he works in real estate. Um, and then he was like, you can't go to cash or else you go out of business. So, you know, we just go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's where we are right now, where a lot of people can see – that we're going to go off the edge of, you know, uh, a cliff or the top of a wave or whatever. But you can't get off right now if your incentives are to grow, grow, grow and make money uh, as much as you can. Um, That's where we are in November 2021, in Andrew Yang's opinion. So, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. um, But I I think you're going to see a lot more like the Zillow blow up um, in the days to come.
1: So a couple thoughts. One, that scale to go to tens of thousands of homes, hiring almost 3,000 people, I'm sure they had more private contractors and part-time employees, in nine months is ridiculous. That is, I don't care how big of a company you are, that is a massive undertaking. Because um, we hired a couple hundred in a month and it was wild. Um, which you would you would need to be at a faster scale, frankly. Um, so that's one. But um, what's crazy to me, Andrew, is my takeaway in this the most mind-blowing part of this entire thing is that Zillow's gonna be fine oh yeah this is like fine. Uh, this is some pain but then like they be fine. completely botched this up lost half a billion dollars not more and they're gonna be fine their apps and websites had almost three billion visits in the third quarter their online marketing business is on pace to grow 34 percent this year and there's a strong housing market um and the other thing is a CEO like has basically in a situation where he owns certain types of shares where they're not going to oust him, at least in the short run. So yeah, what's, what's the market cap is all? Uh I don't know. Let's look it up. What do you think?
2: Guess that line. I'm going to guess 20 billion. L- yeah. Low tens of billions.
1: 16.6 billion.
2: Oh, that's pretty close. That's not bad.
1: Not good for prices. Right. But not bad. Zach. you used yeah, to be yeah, in this no. game.
2: You said 20 billion. That's yeah, we'll good. take
1: that. Low tens of billions. We're there. Look at us. We could do this. Uh, so. Yeah, they're going to be fine. No problem. I mean, their stock's down. They'll be fine. We'll weather the storm. Um, You had talked about the fourth industrial revolution and a whole bunch of things when you're running for president. But there is like a limit to the fourth industrial revolution where there's certain things that need a human or at least will for the foreseeable future. Um, Do you think in the, this is actually an interesting question, in the big five, top five job categories you talk to, or call centers, clerical work administration, you got truck driving, I think it's number four, retail, food service or food prep, manufacturing. Is there any that's gonna hit that human wall, that kind of Zillow
2: hit in real estate? Uh, I think you're going to see the, those things get automated more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, the where, what is the human wall? You know, this is going to be this is going to be tough. I, you know, it's like I, I think a lot of the jobs that we imagine to be the most human are actually the most prone to automation. Ooh. And one I'm going to throw out there as like my my number one example. Is uh, therapy and mental health mm. that it, it turns out military veterans are more comfortable talking to a therapy bot than a real life human therapist, uh, and the efficacy is comparable. And certainly, you can triage to a human if you know someone's suicidal. So, uh, you know, but a lot of people will be like, "Oh, you need a human being for therapy." It's like, eh, you actually like uh, uh, an AI is better in some ways. Wow. Um, so, and so you can extrapolate that. You know, another thing I'm going to throw out there mm. too: uh, healthcare. Yeah. Um, which is a lot of the stuff that you want to do for healthcare is fairly mechanical and rules based. You know what I mean? Like we talk about bedside manner and like doctors and nurses and all that stuff. Like a lot of us, we just like want you to do certain things. Mm-hmm. There was a company, there was a number of years ago. Um, their one innovation is they got nurses to call patients and just try and be- change their behavior. Uh, and that was enough for them to become like a really big successful company because so much of it was around if you could get people to change their behaviors, then you can get them to be healthier and you save a lot of money Interesting. in various get ways. Get the patient to behave differently. So, so a, a lot of this is behavior modification. And I think technology can really help with behavior modification in a way that's more realistic than a person. Uh, yes. So, wow. you know, so th- th- those are my two cents on it. Um, one thing I will say that I think that the human touch is vital for mm. personal training. Like you know, if you ever had a personal trainer when the gym gives you one for free or whatnot, you're like, I don't need a trainer. I know my shit. Mm. And then you get one, all of a sudden, you're like, ah. That's true. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, will. I will say, have you have you looked at tonal? It's pretty awesome. You no, know, no. now this is not to say I have not also enjoyed the fruits of automated uh, trainers and fitness apps and whatnot. Yeah, they're they're pretty good, and uh, like they they'll do. 70 percent of the job you know i agree it's
1: a, tr- a human touch there is is int- important um but tonal is pretty sick it's like customized to your body weight and where you performed last time and
2: tonal hasn't even work. sponsored, us. No, not sponsored <laughs> us
1: but check it out. Um, but like but peloton human touch right like you know and that's a big part of it um i'm i do the, think this is it if this is where it this is where the rubber meets the, road, meets the road, and we have no idea where, he, like I, I actually the one to me is like feels like driving is gonna be like slower than you think. Yeah, it's tough to automate driving. Or people, driving, or just trucking like, trucking it's cigarettes. like this human trust thing, but it's not as black and white as you think, because you'd think a therapist would imply trust, right? Like I have, but the reality is, you're actually just getting stuff off your chest. The only trust you need is that they don't freaking tell anybody or hold things against you and judge you. Um, which a computer can do
2: well to the extent that the human wall uh, is is going to be tough to overcome, and we shouldn't make it seem like humanity's a barrier in this way. Um, but it, it is in my mind a lot of fine motor stuff in mm. difficult settings. Yeah. Uh, and one example I used to use is like you know if you need to clean a hotel room, you'd much rather a human do it than a robot because the robot's going to look there and be like you know what the hell's going you know it's like they're all yeah. these like random things, um, and so you're going to have humans doing things. Um, in that context for a long time i think food prep is is in there like you can automate aspects of it um but yeah. like some of the fine motor stuff uh you know you'll you'll have humans It'll take a long while time yeah hairdressing some of the example yeah. they use um
1: hairdress for sure because edward Scissorhands terrifying yeah um, no one wants to get a robot just near your face haircut. but like the other parts of it maybe i don't know massages i don't i don't know it's gonna be interesting um, it's it's a
2: tough time, man, because like the the like uh, I can see AI and technology uh, you know, getting more and more and, and like the the vision we have of capitalism where it's like, oh, start a small business, we work hard, we compete, like now so much of that stuff's getting wrecked. I mean, you know, if you're an individual mom and pop investor and then Zillow is coming around throwing around billions of dollars, like buying you know what I mean? Like like the mm-hmm. economy's just flowing more and more to these mega actors. There's like this consolidation at the top. Uh and it, it's it's something that our government really just does not understand at all because they'll just make arguments around principles Mm -hmm. on the market. Meanwhile, you have trillion dollar companies, trillion dollar companies that are defying every law of business physics. It's like, like you said, it's like, they can fuck up, doesn't matter. You know, they they have access to what Tim O'Reilly called super money. It's like, as soon as you touch the super money, then there are no more business laws of gravity anymore. Yes, you do what you want you do what you want. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all can think of the companies that have that super money. I'll tell you another area where the super money is changing everything. Just movies and content production. You remember the good old days when there were movie studios and it's like, oh, they had like the special sauce and it's like, oh, yeah. I could make a movie and create You yeah, had to be smart with what you
1: invested in. You got yeah. one or two big blockbusters a year. Yeah. Right? And, it ma- it and it up? mattered
2: if the movie succeeded or failed. Right. Now you have Amazon, Apple, Netflix just throwing billions of dollars. My favorite example in this space was that Chris Pratt movie, Tomorrow War, mm-hmm. that Amazon Bought yep, Evan. I watched If you haven't seen it, it's really, I, I it's really pretty liked good. it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, liked yeah. it's yeah. like you settle down, and you're like, Oh, it's gonna be a random sci fi yeah, movie. Yeah. You're like, Oh, this is actually like a quality Hollywood production. So they spent 200 million dollars on uh, Tomorrow War, and then because of you know, COVID circumstance and whatnot, they just turned around and just sold it to Amazon for. million. (laughs) It it was just like a a complete, just like zero gain swap. It's like, look, we made this movie. We don't want to take the heat for releasing and trying to make the money back. So here you go. And then Amazon's like, we will zero out your investment. And then it just shows up on our TVs. For essentially free. I Minimal mean, you marketing know, expense, too. I think I
1: saw a couple ads maybe on like Subway or something, but not, you know, they're just like, here it is.
2: Yeah. So so now content has become like an add-on for these tech platforms. Yeah. And tech has become the tail that's wagging the dog. Uh, so, you know, content itself is getting kind of sanded down. I, I almost tweeted something out. It's like, we're all content now. Um, you know there was that Bo burnham thing where it's like hey maybe compressing all of human experience to, to like the, the, the algorithm like might not be such a good a great, idea yeah, yeah. yeah so so that stuff's definitely happening uh, and um, again like you know our, our leadership doesn't really understand so contents the clearest one mm-hmm. where that stuff's getting uh Commoditized and automated, but you you can see that happening more and more. And again, I'm going to suggest that most people think that content like film and whatnot, artistry, humanity, emotion, like that stuff, irreplaceable. It's like no, no. It turns mm-hmm. out that I can just fucking <laughs> you
1: know, like yeah,
2: you know, get the money, get the talent, get the algorithm, see yeah. what it is you like, you know, like send it down, send it down your gullet. And oh, by the way, if I don't quote unquote make money, don't care.
1: Yeah. The one that to me, it's gonna change everything and I don't know, I don't know when we'll get there. I actually don't know if, but this is a big one, where it's, there's a certain level, it's, it's like the business trust, um, kind of as a catch all, where it's, all right, you have no problem spending 20 bucks for an automated service, uh, 50 bucks, or buying something online, you buy like a $1,000 suit you may buy online, you might buy a $1,000 pair of shoes, $500 pair of shoes, whatever it is. You may buy a car. Right, fifty thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars. Right, without touching a human. Right, Um, but there's a certain level everybody's got different where it's a big enough purchase where you wouldn't do it online. Um, And for now, it's probably somewhere between a car and a home, you know, Um, and give and take on both sides. But if you look at a lot of business nowadays, is like taking a company public or big mergers and acquisitions or buying a, a new office building or whatever, these massive investments. People want that human, or even wealth management, good example, like I wanna invest all my money in this, I kinda of want a human to tell me it's gonna be okay or give me some experience. At some point, I think a computer's gonna be able to do that stuff, because the job's not that hard. I've worked in that space, at least in wealth management, but I don't know, I don't know if humans. You, you see the comfort level
2: just going up and up, man. Yeah, it's I agree like, you, know, you, you see something like Betterment or. Wealthfront uh, or these. Yeah, Robinhood like like a while Everyone. ago, you wouldn't have believed that, but now everyone's cool with it. Yeah. Not
1: everyone, but younger people are cool with it. Agreed. And that's the other thing. The younger generations keep growing up, more and more used to it, and then it changes, right? Um, So anytime someone says, here's my takeaway. I don't know if you agree with this. Anytime someone says, you'll always need a human to do X... What are they wrong? Eighty percent of the time.
2: Well, certainly, <laughs> certainly, you, you you should examine whether they have some vested interest. Uh, yeah, in, and <laughs> in, 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 in having that be true, uh, you know, because eighty percent of Americans think that most jobs will be automated, but but they also don't think their job's going to be automated. That's mm-hmm. just the way our minds work. There, there's no way they're automating podcasters, you know. Oh, definitely not. No way. Yeah, two no. percent
1: chance. <laughs> I want to shift to this because it's pretty crazy and the press did not really do this justice. I don't think Twitter did this justice either. The University of Austin, new university starting by our friend Barry Weiss and and crew, um, to combat what the hell is going on in our universities right now in the United States of America. So we can break this down, but thoughts on this, um, Thoughts on her move, thoughts on if this will work, thoughts about why. I can break down some stats too, but why don't we start with you?
2: Well, I, I just love that people are building something and uh, trying to do it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the real issues in American life is we're we all are just starting to get very, very negative about things like institutions and be like, oh, you know, the media, oh, you like schools, uh, you name it. Um, and then someone like Barry and a lot of other people. Uh, um, Peter Boghossian one of the founding faculty members. Right. Uh, there are, you know, dozens of people, probably hundreds, you know, dozens we've heard of and hundreds that we we probably uh, you know, just don't know who they are. Um, just want to actually put their money where their mouth is and say, hey, we think we can do a better job. We yeah. think there's a need. We can fill it. Uh, you know, that's what I'm doing with the forward party. That's what I think that our, this movement's been about in large part. It's like, we can do better. We can build better. <laughs> build better. Sorry, but it, it's... <laughs> build back better. Yeah, but it, it's... It's like build a better mousetrap, you know? Yeah. It's like like the, the the moment you stop complaining and start doing something about it, then in my mind, I've always felt much more positive and upbeat and healthier because when you complain, um, it, it, there's like a kind of negative sentiment that creeps up because you're like, oh, that sucks, this sucks. Yep. And, and then at some point, you have to be like, well, if it really does suck, maybe I can offer the world a better alternative. And oh, by the way, if I'm right, maybe there's an immense opportunity there. Maybe yeah. there's a, a ton of value. I'm glad you're wired that way. Most people aren't. They like to complain. And, and so <laughs> that's the way I saw the University of Austin. Is like, okay, there are people that are sad about something that's going on in existing universities. And, I, you know, like I, I've said, it's like, why is it that college is two and a half times more expensive than it mm-hmm. was when I went to school? Did it get two and a half times better? We know it did not. <laughs> so, so what's really going on? I mean, I, I think a lot of Americans sense that, uh, that these organizations have just started to, you know, serve themselves in various ways. I think this is a major, major critique of the Democratic Party. Is that among the things that are making Americans the most miserable, it would be education and healthcare costs, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't do enough to rein those in. I think healthcare is now up to eighteen percent of GDP. Whew. Uh, you're not seeing better results. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just seeing higher costs. Same thing with a lot of the educational institutions. So, if a group of people think they can offer a better product, and you know, I mean, I don't know if what like it might not be for like less money, but who cares? You know, it's like if you offer something better to the world, yeah. all to the good. Uh, I'm excited about it. So here, are the stats they region,
1: and then I'll, I'll tell you my comments. So, uh, nearly a quarter of American academics in the social sciences or humanities endorsed endorse ousting a colleague for having a wrong opinion about a hot-button issue, such as immigration or gender differences. A quarter of professors want the firing people for the wrong opinion. A third of conservative academics and PhD students say they've been threatened with disciplinary action, disciplinary action for their views. Four or five American PhD students are willing willing to discriminate against right-leaning scholars according to uh, the Center for Study of Partisanship and Ideology. You can go down the list. Oh, there was a
2: study in uh, Ezra Klein's book, Why We're Polarized, where where you had people in a university setting um, dole out a fellowship. And the the single biggest thing that they would discriminate against someone for is their political party. Is that if someone was the other party, then you would not want to give them good stuff. Uh, and the majority of the people in this context were Democrats, so there, there's definitely something very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's good for learning. Like, if people feel like you show up and there's like a right opinion, if you don't have the right opinion, then mm-hmm. you know, like you're going going to end up getting uh, cast out or attacked by your peers or, or uh, the the institution itself. Uh, so. Yeah, like that, that, that is something that I, I think people ought to be concerned yeah. about because, like, if, if everyone's getting trained the same way, um, that's not what you'd want culturally or intellectually.
1: So it's getting. This is getting spin, spun as like an anti-woke or intellectual dark web university, and there's a lot of names we can read off some. But um, here's what I want to say: I just spoke a couple weeks ago at NYU here, Manhattan, um, for a Professor talking about um, this is Pro- Professor Eli Bleich, cool guys, former campaign manager, has been in politics for a while, teaching a course on campaign management. So I went and talked about our race, it was fun. Um, and it brought back a little bit of nostalgia, like being back in a classroom and that sort of thing. And I remember, it reminded me of being back in college, and I went to um, Duke down North Carolina, but I remember going to class, and I remember like this vibe, like mentality, like gotta like, buckle my chin strap, like wear a helmet sort of thing, where I was ready to debate in class, ready to be told I was wrong. Um, and that was I was a public policy major so there was a lot of that. I remember I grew up in a republican household, moderately republican household. And my first one of my first professors, a professor named Jessica Boone, she was wonderful. But she was shaved head, open lesbian, like probably as far left as you could go. And we fought all the time. Not like or just she challenged me all day long. But in that class I learned so much about the left. I learned so much about what it's like growing up a lesbian in the United States of America I learned like she and we have a we had a re, it's one of the few professors I actually have communicated with since I've graduated where it, in order for people to learn about other people's views you have to let them speak their mind and then get punched um and when i was in the classroom at NYU i felt that i i had this sense and i can say the students felt i don't know if it was a feeling but like you can't say the wrong thing. It was like, I felt like I wasn't ready for battle. I was ready to just kind of massage what we all are supposedly agreeing to what is right. And I do think that's a massive problem, a massive problem. Because if you have young people that aren't willing to to speak and be proven wrong and then learn, um, I don't think that's good learning. And so to Barry Weiss and the the crew, I think this is a good thing um, if it's open dialogue. I don't know what
2: you think if you had that experience in college too, but it it hit me hard. my favorite thinker in this space is Jonathan Haidt, who's yeah. been on the podcast, uh, started something called the Heterodox Academy. which He's is one of the academics that, in this, yeah. Yeah, and, and so it th- uh, surprises me zero that Jonathan's involved with the University yeah. of Austin. Uh, I, I think that there is a need for an environment of just open intellectual inquiry, and you can say something that other people would consider very problematic mm-hmm. or troublesome. And you're not going to be demonized or villainized for it. You know, people may disagree with you. uh, But the the big thing in American life that is going wrong for us right now is that we are um, projecting that someone who disagrees with us on something is worth less as a human being than we are. Mm -hmm. At the extreme, we're dehumanizing them. Mm -hmm. We're saying that, that, you know, that that they are worth less, actually. Uh, And that's going to tear us apart. It's going to destroy us. So any environment where people can say what's on their mind and not be uh, attacked for it, I think is a win. Uh, you know, that that you shouldn't have this intellectual conformity or uniformity right. um, because if you do, then, uh, you know, people don't learn as much in my view and they, they become uh, more timid intellectually. Or entrenched
1: in their ways. Like I, I sh- Professor Boone like made me, more of a Democrat, like, in that's, you know, set me on that path. And that, um, that's how I met you, right? Um, so I wow, I owe her a you know, massive favor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I, I, you know, it's okay to be wrong, as long as you're open minded to learn, right? When you're wrong. Um, no, look, there are words you could say that are really hurtful. And you got to be mindful of that. But that, anyway, so University of Austin, it's Um, I'm plugging it for because it it's great. And you're going to be on Barry's podcast soon. So, so did you uh, you talk about this at all? Talk about education a bit? Uh, it hadn't been announced, so I don't think we do. Okay. Um, so there's Peter Rogozian in here, Barry Weiss, uh, Caitlin Flanagan. There's a couple of names, but uh, Glenn Lowry, uh, John McWhorter, I think, is involved in this, Jonathan Haidt. Um, so... Um, worth checking out and they have like a, it's a summer program for now. And then they'll start doing some graduate programs and an undergraduate supposedly starts in 2024.
2: I'm a big fan of new universities starting. So uh. Amen. I like why are we just all lurching around being like, oh, universities, they're so expensive. Oh, universities, like, you know, there aren't enough of them. Why don't we just start some new universities? It's so true. If you're listening to this, start your own university. I'm kidding, it's a lot. <laughs> but um, but you know, there was one school, uh, Dartmouth, that said, we're gonna try and expand class size by 10%, yep. which is a very, very big deal. Thank goodness. Like, why are you just keeping your class size the same when you know that there's a massive surplus of demand for what you have to offer? You have a mission. Yep. You should try and do more of it. And the mission should not be maintain exclu- exclusivity. I mean, that's jacked up. Yep. So schools should grow. There should be new schools. We should be doing more. And, and, yeah, like hats off to them for taking on a difficult challenge because it's not easy. Uh, you know, it's one reason why. Again, if you're listening to this, you know, starting a university is probably a bridge too far. But you know, but <laughs> but feel free to do something that your community needs. You know, it's like start a new daycare. You know, it's yep. like you're looking around and there's no daycare that you can be excited about. Start your own. Like that. Yep. That like that. That should be the American way, the yes. forward way. Uh, and so I'm I too am excited about the University of Austin. Plus, like I think Austin, Texas, man, that that place, that place seems cool, like that, like I, I have friends who have moved there and friends who it's live cool. there. And like like that is like the new frontier zone in a good way. Uh, the weather is good, you know. Like the I did my is brother's good. bachelor party there. It was dynamite. Uh, it's place. so you know like picked a good hub, picked a catchy name. Yep. Um, and look, the press, uh,
1: you know, had its way with this announcement, and so did Twitter for sure. But Scott Galloway uh, has a university as well, Section Four, and it's good. It's maybe probably a liberal, more liberal version of this, but he's a, he's a free thinker and. Um, extremely business savvy so uh, look I, i'm a fan of all of this stuff we shouldn't crucify people trying to do build something. new things yes build new smart, things hey people. there's a book someone wrote a book called smart people build things uh or should build things i don't remember who wrote that um i heard he was a smart guy though uh. yeah the prototype <laughs> oh man all right sb sbt the the one that started it all you could say all right we're out of here man we've been rambling for a while Good show.
2: Yes, and I'm going to be in New York City for a Forward Book Talk on Saturday night, the 13th. We're going to make merry, drink some wine, sign some books, talk about the future. Join us. It's going to be a blast.
1: City Winery, 730, New York City, Andrew Yang doing stand-up comedy. Saturday, November
2: 13th. You will laugh. You will cry. You will drink. It's going to be great. You'll get a selfie. Maybe
1: I'll be there. You guys are awesome. See you next week. Ever forward. See
2: you soon.